Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So for this this week's episode, as well as next week's episode, we're going to kind of try and um, unpack and kind of work through some of the changes and announcements that came out of WWDC. I think we both had uh, sufficient time at this point to kind of digest a lot of what was going on there, to in some cases even to dig into things, um, to try things out, um, to watch a lot more WWDC session videos. Um, So hopefully we can give a slightly more comprehensive view at this point. And I think it's also kind of nice, rather than doing this kind of thing, Thing, um, in real time is that you know, I think we've had the benefit of the, the collected wisdom of the community as well to, to kind of help um, shepherd this around. Um, so I think we're kind of, I think we're structured, we're going to first start off talking about iOS 12, um, which it's kind of a strange thing because usually iOS, um, I would say, is the you know the marquee, the ma- the major um, significant change to operating system at WWDC. But um, this year, that was not really the case. Um, I mean, there's certainly a lot of changes. There's certainly a lot of things going on um, more under the hood. But in terms of you know, we've there have been years where. Um, Apple starts off with these, like, you know, we have seven tentpole features that we're going to be bringing this year. And, you know, this year it was, they had maybe one or two, um, of those type of that those kind of changes. Um, and the rest of the changes are fairly low level. And so at this point, I will recommend, um, a, website maintained by matt stevens which includes the old school old style um sdk diffs um so back in the day before they apple changed the new documentation system which makes looking for changes completely inscrutable to me um they used to just publish a list of all the all the method names that had changed and any things that was added um and matt stevens um still publishes one of those so just a little plug for that yeah that's Um, awesome that like that used to be the the very first thing I would open up at when getting every beta. Yeah. Like at WBDC, like it would be like sitting in in Moscone in the lunch hall, and I, the very first thing I would do as soon as the site was up was go look at that API diff to see like what of the APIs that I use or might use had had you know brought me presence that year. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 amazing. The new version doesn't really work but anyway so like i've been yeah i did the same thing i always go through that and then now i really appreciate that someone's kind of worked out how to technically just continue to generate these um but looking in there there's a lot of low level changes and minor changes um some of them we'll get to later but in general it seems like you know there, there's not it's, it's not a larger not a lot of huge sweeping um changes or things that most apps have to do um, with the exception of shortcuts, which we'll get to in a minute. But in general, it's mostly just lots of little tweaks, lots of little improvements. Um, and in general, I mean, Apple had said, like, their big focus this year was performance. And I think there's even some changes in UIKit to reflect that. Um, there's a great talk um, about what's new in Cocoa Touch that inc- talks about a whole variety of kind of subtle performance and you know, kind of user experience and responsiveness changes that they've been making in UIKit, some of which we kind of get for free, some of which we have to work for. But in general, there's a bunch of just like baseline performance. Things got a little bit better, but if you do nothing, your app's going to be fine um, kind of things, which in some ways is nice. I like having the opportunity to do that, but you know, at the same time, it's always a little, you know, I think we always just want more, in some ways we might want more than we we want more changes than it's probably good for us in some ways, like just because it's kind of fun and exciting. Um, but, you know, the main marquee change this year is just like not much changed. Let's all just make our apps collectively a bit better. Yeah, because like, you know, every year there could be big flashy new user features. And sometimes there are, uh, usually there are. But there's also usually stuff under the hood that is something that like would not even necessarily make the keynote 
and might be like mentioned very quickly in the State of the Union, <laughs> but uh, things that just make our lives easier. Things like improvements to UI kit, stuff that most of us use for pretty much any kind of application, um, and or like you know special new ways to do basic things like view controllers. Um, when, when things like child view controllers, different transition types, auto layout, when all those things came out, that was a big deal for everyone. And as time goes on, it, it has you know as iOS has matured, it's gotten more and more specialized, and there are fewer of those like better for everyone kind of improvements that come up every year and you know a couple of years over the last couple of years we've had narrower and narrower things like siri kit intense the first version of it that could only benefit like seven different types of apps um stuff like that and, and you know like the 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 rate of like new things that benefited all of us seems to have definitely gone down and this year seems like just a continuation of that um, I'm a little biased because I have a lot to do with this year's changes. Um, although not even that much on the iOS side, much more on watchOS, which we'll talk about next week. But on the iOS side, um, you know, there's things like the Siri intent or Siri um, shortcuts, rather, uh, which are based on the Intense API. So I keep getting those confused. Uh, but Siri shortcuts are fairly limited. Uh, I, I wish they could do more than what they actually can do, and I hope they are the beginning of a story and not the end of one because say next year if siri shortcuts could do things like be parameterized the way they already are in the api but you just can't call them in a parameterized way you can't say like make a shortcut to play x where the user can specify any value of x from this dictionary of values uh there's nothing like that you know they're all like kind of one by one but hopefully that's that becomes a bigger thing next year but i think at least this year we will have the beginnings of stuff like that. But other than that, there's not that much to do with iOS 12 for most app developers I know, um, or even for most app developers, period. But as, as we mentioned last week, I, I kind of like that at least once, you know, like I, I like that every so often because it gives us a chance to have like the eternal springtime of cleanup, basically, yeah. to have like a year where we just make our apps better in ways that aren't just trying to keep up with Apple's treadmill of new stuff and new releases. And what's also nice about iOS 12 is it doesn't seem to break much, uh, with the exception of UI WebView, which is now deprecated, but still works. Uh, you know, you should move off of that. But like, with the, with the exception of that, there's not that much that you really have to do for iOS 12. So it does leave a lot of room for people who don't make Apple Watch podcast apps to have a whole summer of freedom. Yeah. Oh sure, yeah. Because I mean, there's so many of the big changes. It's like they are so are increasingly so specialized. Like all the like the changes for like the password system. Like that's so that you can now have the sort of this common shared password management approach thing. Like that's great if you're one password or one of the other password managers. But if you're not, there's nothing related to that with you. Or you can do navigation in CarPlay now. Well, that's great if you make a navigation player or the all the ARK or core ML changes. They're like awesome, really cool technology, but they're being you know it's so specialized rather than being a sweeping change that would affect every app. And so it's like you said, like, I mean, there's so many things. Like I think both of us are going to have in some ways. There's lots of things for us to work on this summer, um, but they're becoming so much more um, isolated and specialized into a particular area, which. I mean, in many ways, yes, I think it's, it's quite nice. And I think there's some even improvements to the way they, they worked on some of the things you can do now in notifications, for example. Like, there were so, so many of those changes are the kind of thing that if you don't adopt on day one, the default behavior is going to be fine for you, probably. 
but you have the ability, should you want, that you can now in notifications, you can have slightly more rich um, graph- graphics and user interactivity there. You can do slightly more advanced and clever things with uh, threading and for how the way that notifications get grouped, um, the way the changes work for authorization, where you can be, you know, you can get, get you can send quiet notifications now without the user having to authorize them. Like there's a variety of changes there that are kind of interesting and kind of cool in notifications, but it's a kind of change that you don't have to do anything in to start with. It is not, it's not one of these things that if you don't update on day one, if you're not ready for iOS 12, you know, whatever it is, like the th- usually, what is it, like the third Wednesday in September is usually around when it launches. Um, like, if you're not ready, it'll be fine. Um, and I mean, honestly, in some ways, even with the series shortcut stuff, um, which we can get into a bit more detail, but what I love there is they're just the first, like the simple version of that is just piggybacked right on top of the user activity API, which you may be already using right now. If you have, you know, a support handoff or any of the other kind of activity based uh, mechanisms, it's all you know, basically are built around the same, t- same technology. So you almost kind of get it for free. Um, if you've been, do- if you've been doing that kind of work anyway. So like, there's a lot of these things that are just like, okay, this is nice. Um, it's, it's, we can make the apps better. And then we have some opportunities, um, you know, in terms of things like Shuri, Shuri shortcuts, where if you want to go full into that and you have an application where that makes sense, um, you know, I think there's a lot of apps where there's a short, a, all this, you know, the, the Siri shortcut stuff really doesn't make much sense beyond using it as kind of a sophisticated launcher, you know, or maybe you want to launch an app into a particular mode or um, a particular screen, but there may not necessarily be um, a lot of deep integration for that where it would make sense. But, you know, nevertheless, it's a new little sort of interface to plug into. And um, I don't know, I, I'm a little skeptical, if I'm honest, though, about Siri shortcuts. I find that, like, I think they'll be useful for a small percentage of the population they'll be very useful and very well used but for a large group of my my user base i don't expect them to ever know that they're there um or even you know like miss or, or would find a use for them even if they did know that they were there yeah i i honestly i probably won't be using them myself i i, I see them more as a continuation of workflow and and related apps. So, you know, a- apps like drafts or editorial and workflow, these are all like iOS power user apps basically that 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 allow people to get a lot of work done on iOS or to automate things, you know, in in various cool ways, to save some time. And and those are a community worth serving, but not all apps are going to be able to justify having a whole bunch of effort put into that community because it might not be very big for your app. Um, and so to me like supporting Siri shortcuts, I'm treating it when, when I'm trying to think of like my my time budget for how much time I'm willing to spend on these kinds of features. I treat Siri shortcuts, I think the same way I would treat things like URL scheme support, um, but a little bit more than that because it's more visible um, and or things like, you know, continuity support, as you mentioned, um, that kind of or handoff rather like that kind of thing is worth a little bit of effort. But it's not worth tons of effort because not a lot of people who use most apps are going to actually use those features. Um, but the good thing is it seems like – I haven't actually implemented this API yet. It's next on my to-do list. But um, it seems like it doesn't actually take that much effort to implement Siri shortcuts. So from that point of view, it should be like a URL scheme where it should be fairly easy to implement. I suppose the only 
uh, thing that differentiates it and, and adds to the cost of implementing it is that it needs UI of sorts, right? Doesn't or if you want it to be good, it needs like a button somewhere on various parts of your interface that says like add to Siri, right? There's two. There's two. There's two types of shortcuts that you can add to your app. So the the simple one is just the NS user activity based um, shortcuts, which are functionally just like what you're doing now. You just need to set a flag to true that says like this can be a part of this mechanism, and those are just launching your app with a like continue activity to your app delegate call. Oh, okay. So there's nothing really that you would have to do there. It's only if you want to add the intent based. Um, more sort of dynamic one that you would need to add the sort of th- the other additional logic to your app. You might add you add an extension handler. Um, you can add a button into your app to to add this you know the the command phrase to it. Um, but you don't have to do any of those types of things unless you have a kind of a, an experience. Those typically only make sense in a situation where there's a background handler for the app for for the user action that would make sense so if you're you know in the example they always like to give of like ordering a coffee or something like that where you don't have to launch the app in order to do that um that's when i think those other sort of more robust things come into play but i could imagine for example in overcast that um say every every time i hit play um in the app it you know had a user activity object that said like you know that that indicated that i had just started listening to a podcast um in theory like if i listen to podcasts on a regular basis um or in a particular place or whatever if in theory the relevance api that they're or engine that they're using should detect that and say like oh wow it seems like every morning at seven o'clock um you know you open your you open your phone and um go to go to overcast and hit play um and in theory it should be able to surface that to the user at that point and say you know, on my lock screen, or if I pull down in, you know, into the the spotlight area uh, on my phone, that I could have a button that just says, you know, play, it's like, continue playback, basically, Um, even without involving Siri and the voice control part of that, just the, you know, like the Siri as the smart assistant part, which I really, it gets so confusing that they're kind of, they've, they're, they smush everything together and call it Siri, even though I think most people think of Siri as the voice command persona inside of the phone but anyway like so that's the side of thing that i think for a lot of apps if that relevance engine is actually really good and of course people have to have predictable behavior then those kind of basic you know it's just a super advanced launcher is potentially just a a nice little acceleration for people um but the more sophisticated stuff i think is going to be much more um isolated in terms of real utility because i really like it seems as, as i could sort of see the thought even their like example of like you can order a coffee but like really is that how someone's going to order a coffee like how many people's order is going to be exactly the same at the same time and it's you know are they going to feel comfortable with doing it that way like i don't know it, it, i'm skeptical but i'm also maybe i'm just skeptical because i'm not as it's 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 not a thing that i that's for me you know and and all features certainly don't need to be for me so i you know i support them even if i don't think i would use them myself we are brought to you this week by ns screencast ns screencast features quality video screencasts on swift ios and mac development they cover a wide range of topics from beginner to advanced skill levels there are currently over 340 episodes and more being added all the time 
Every week with NS Screencast, you will find a new, fantastically produced episode that will help you build and enhance your development skills. And with short videos, you can learn a lot over time without a huge time commitment. You'll be able to learn new things even if you've been doing this for a while like us. Like in the latest series, where you'll be learning about testing iOS applications, which is something that I a lot of my friends tell me I need to do. <laughs> so as well as watching NS Screencast videos on the web, they also have apps for iPhone, iPad, and even Apple TV. So you can watch them whenever and wherever you have time. NS Screencast costs just $18 per month or $168 for the year. And it's great for your team too. So take advantage of their team pricing if you can. As listeners of this show, you can get 30% off your first month by signing up at nsscreencast.com slash radar18. And that works whether you opt for the monthly or the annual plan. So invest in yourself or your team. Head to nsscreencast.com slash radar18 now. Thank you so much to NS Screencast for their support of this show. So since iOS 12 is in some ways kind of thin, like honestly, that's probably about all there is to say about it. We'll have a summer of doing performance tweaks, if maybe making some series shortcuts, maybe enhancing our notifications. But for most people... That will kind of be it. Um, the other thing that I think we should probably talk about is they d- dropped a mountain of iOS app review guideline changes al- along with uh, WDC this year. Um, some of them are just sort of clarifications. Some of them are a bit more specific. But um, overall, it's certainly something that I think is worth mentioning. And I, I'll have a link in the show notes to a, a great YouTube resource, um, which is the App Store Review Guidelines History.com, which is just a website that someone um, kind of curates the changes and runs nice, pretty diffs of the changes rather than just like a textual diff. They try and actually interpret what's changing um, and, and highlight some of the important things. Um, so the first place to start, I think, is there's made a couple of changes to kind of metadata stuff. This is related to what is now App Store Connect, which is going to take me forever to actually switch over from iTunes Connect. Um, everything is now App Store Connect, which great. That makes a lot more sense. But anyway, that's, that's the change. But the two metadata changes that I saw in there is that every app must include a privacy policy now. Um, and it must also be available within linked to from inside of the app. So this is across the board. Previously, I believe this only applied to health and fit health related apps were required to have a privacy policy. Also anything with auto renewing subscriptions. Oh, sure. Okay. So there were two categories now, and I believe now the changes, everybody's got to have one. And like, this is, doesn't necessarily come up as a surprise with all the GDPR changes and privacy as general as a big theme for Apple. But it's certainly something that I'm sure we're going to see a lot of uh, rejections for this summer as people don't notice that, submit their app, get rejected back from Apple saying that you need a privacy policy. So, you know, if you, if you don't have one, you're going to need to write one. Um, and if you do, you know, you just need to make sure that you have a link to it um, in the app as well as, um, um, you know, in the metadata field in App Store Connect as well. Yeah, I mean, in this day and age, with especially with GDPR, uh, I, I think at this point, you should all have privacy policies for all the things, all the apps and services that you have. Um, it's, it, you know, if you've never done one before, it sounds intimidating or it sounds like something that only companies can or should do. Uh, but not only is the latter point no longer true, if it ever was, but it, sh- it it shouldn't be, you shouldn't look at it as like this impossible thing that you have to like have a team of lawyers write for you and cost a fortune and everything else. Um, you know, you should consider having a lawyer look at it, but you can write it yourself if you if you look at other privacy policies, look up the requirements, the current legal requirements in various jurisdictions for what privacy policies have to or should include, and just kind of use other ones as a guide. And then 
look at your app. You know, if you are an indie, you probably know what it does and what it doesn't collect. And, uh, and you know, actually codify. Like, you know, your privacy policy has to be correct. It, it is a, like, you know, legally binding document of sorts like you know you can't lie in it so so you have to tell everything you do and this might give you a reason if you haven't already audited your stuff for gdpr compliance this could give you a reason to really look through and figure out like is there any information i'm collecting that i don't need or that i can get away without uh things like that um and and you know just write it as clearly and concisely as you can while hitting all the requirements and a your users will thank you and b it isn't as hard as it sounds yeah. And so, I mean, I, I think I take, it's a good thing in general to, and I think I would honestly, I'd recommend that developers write it themselves. Um, I think that is better in a lot of ways because it's, then you make sure it sort of, it enforces you to understand what it is that you're kind of publicly saying that you're doing. Um, and if it's honestly, personally, I also appreciate as a user, a privacy policy that is clear, that is clearly written by a person rather than a lawyer, because, um, there's a certain degree to which it becomes it's that much easier to understand. And I mean, in many ways, the point of a privacy policy is just to communicate with your user what data you collect and how that data is used. And so if you, you know, the, the clearer that communication can be is certainly the better. And it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt either to look at what other people have in theirs, because there might be information that you are inadvertently collecting that you didn't even think about, really. Things like what your web server logs store. Uh, you know, things like user agents or IP addresses, um, things like uh, cookies, just, you know, storing cookies in people's computers for logins, uh, or like when they email you for support, you store that email and therefore you have their email address and you can use it to do things like reply to their support email, stuff that you might not think about. So check out other privacy policies. Um, I give you full permission to copy whatever you want out of mine um, if, as, under the condition that if a lawyer tells you some part of it is horrible or wrong or missing, let me know. That seems like pretty good advice. Yeah, no, I think I've certainly learned a few things from your privacy policy. I've always thought it was very well written. Thank you. So um, another change related to metadata that is kind of interesting is they've changed the wording around the sort of the change log part of our app that another uh, quote from section 2.3.12 um, that apps must clearly describe new features and product changes in their what's new text. Simple bug fixes, security updates and performance improvements may rely on a generic description but more significant changes must be listed in the notes um, which i think is kind of an interesting change both in terms of it i it is encouraging you to be specific to your user and then also in the back of my mind i read that as almost like they're trying to curtail a b testing related types of things like um, it sounds in some ways as though what they're talking you know they're saying that any, you know, any significant change must be listed in the what's new as a potentially as a tool for them to avoid the thing where you know an app that is you know say you're the twitter app which as best i understand does a lot of this where you know they roll out different features and different modes and like the app is wildly dynamic um depending on which you know, all their sort of A-B testing system says says the app should behave. Um, I don't know if that's what they're going after this, but either way, it's just, I think it, we've talked many times on this show about it. I think it's a, you know, your change, your change notes are a rare opportunity for you to communicate with your user. So like take advantage of that and write something useful and interesting there. Um, but I think it's interesting to see that Apple is kind of calling that out specifically now um, as something that they want you to be specific in. Yeah, I mean, it, it's easy to look at this and, and say, like, yeah, this is probably aimed at, like, the Twitters and the Facebooks and the Instagrams of the world. 
Uh, but ultimately, like, are they going to really follow this? I, I doubt it. Like, are you really going to see a, a, a guideline? You know, like, and, and obviously the reason for this is Apple wants them to be more accountable. They or, and they want a, a record. And part, you know, part of Apple clamping down on this kind of stuff is probably Apple recognizing its own GDPR liability and recognizing that their platform enables a bunch of other third-party apps that they don't have control over, and that might become a problem for them down the road if if these other apps, uh, you know are shown to be violating people's privacy or anything like that. It's like some of the fallout from that could hit Apple on the way. So Apple needs to do things like make sure that, you know, they have rules against third party uh, data giving stuff like that. But also they want to know that they have a record of what you've changed in your app and you can't edit those, the change log fields after the app has been approved. So what this is basically asking for people to do is to give Apple a real record of things that have changed in your app. Uh, not just to say, but we're always improving our app. Check back every two weeks. Not just to say, go to this external URL that we host on our site that Apple doesn't control, and we'll tell you what we changed, you know, which no one does. Um, it, you know, Apple wants a record of that. But again, I, I I see this as being probably largely unenforced against the the apps and companies that are the biggest offenders. I, I can't see how they're going to possibly enforce this. Sure. I mean, I think in general, it's probably good to say with these kind of discussions on app review guidelines is. I think there's an, a strange tension around enforcement and these kind of rules where I think Apple's intention might certainly be to, um, in, in, you know, overall to affect change, maybe not necessarily at a hundred percent level that I think enforcement, you know, absolutely across every application, um, is probably impossible for both practical logistical and then like political reasons in terms of the you know the relationship they have with larger apps or those types of of the situations but you know i think their goal my guess is with you know there's quite a lot of changes that happened this year and i think my guess is they're trying to you know they're trying to course correct the app store slightly and push it in a slightly different direction and they don't have to enforce these rules completely or absolutely to you know, affect that correction that they can make a change that you know it that sort of steer the, steer the app store in a slightly different direction just by the way that they both writing it in here by doing um, enforcement, especially against, you know, egregious cases um, and those types of things will start to move the app store in a slightly different direction. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, is always just good to keep in mind that yes, like the app store, the, the review guidelines are always, they, they are just guidelines. They're not like this very specific black and white text. And usually because there's usually, you know, there's an element of discretion involved that, you know, what I think is a, a simple, a simple bug fix you might think of as a significant change. Um, and you know, that's just, could be just an, an, an area of honest agreement of disagreement. So who knows? Um, another change that I think is interesting is for advertising-based applications. There is now a requirement that user be able to users be, must be able to see all information that is being used to target the the, the ad that they are being shown, uh, and they need to be able to view that information without leaving the app. That's a big thing. Yeah, it's a pretty big thing, and I'm not sh- honestly I'm quite curious to see how this actually rolls out because, as far as I know, none of the major advertising platforms include the ability to do this now so most people who rely like including myself like i use um, google's AdMob platform for my advertising it's like until they add this to their sdk then i can't really support it so i'm not entirely sure if this is going to be something where you know this requirement isn't enforced 
right away or is it you know is gradually enforced or you get a warning or exactly how this will play out because i you know i I, would be quite a catastrophic change if you know come to you know it's like starting tomorrow apple said every you know every app that was advertising must do this because all of the ad supporting at ad supported apps in the store are reliant on the SDKs that they include in their apps. So until those all get updated, they can't really go there. But, you know, nevertheless, I think it is certainly an admirable goal for Apple to kind of try and surface this information to their customers. Um, and I think broadly, that seems like a theme that they're trying to, you know, surface privacy and permission based stuff more specifically and explicitly to customers so that they're able to make more informed decisions and choices, um, as well as to hopefully also kind of dissuade people from being too creepy or doing stuff that um, the users may not like. Because, you know, this, even if the, you know, because it, it's different if you're able to do it in a kind of a more quiet, um, hidden way than if you're, you know, specifically required to show that information to, you know, to your user. All right, closing out the uh, iOS and general section for the summer, uh, what do you think is the very first thing that you are going to do for iOS this summer? Um, I think the biggest thing for iOS for me is just going to be doing a basic pass of the simple Siri shortcut stuff. I think that is the like the default the, the default thing that everybody should do this summer is just go through if there's going to be a key a few key moments in your application that are would make sense to plug into the Siri shortcuts thing. Go ahead and do that. Um, and then I think it's wise probably to see how the fall shakes out before you necessarily go whole hog into the rest of the shortcut stuff. But at the very least do that. It should take you like half a day to do probably for most people. And then you can just kind of have it in the app, it'd be available. And if people start loving it, then you can enhance that. And if they don't, you can kind of move on. Uh, what about you? Pretty much the same thing. I'm, I'm buried in WatchKit right now, which is what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, but uh, as soon as I'm done with that, which might be a while, <laughs> I intend to tackle series shortcuts uh, and then start doing things like AirPlay 2 and uh, maybe a visual refresh of some sorts. But we'll see. That's that. Those are both uh, large undertakings that are not a high priority right now. So uh, most likely we'll finish WatchKit for the, a long time. So yeah. we'll talk about that next week. And uh, I guess that's it for this week. So uh, tune in next week for our wonderful WatchKit discussion and we'll talk to you then. Bye.